Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, what the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John. I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You know, this day in history is kind of weird for me. See if you guys fall in line with this. Eleven years ago today, I sat over at the Colts Complex and I could not believe what I was witnessing. I sat over at the Colts Complex, and I watched the end of the Peyton Manning era here. I could not believe it. Could not believe it. To a degree, I still can't. And lots of people suggest, oh, you get way too caught up in this. Yeah, the Manning era is over. Way too much is made about it. And all that stupid stuff from people that don't know or people that are too young to understand too young to understand exactly what everybody around here, my age and certainly older, went through watching this team and always believing it never was going to win. You know, get that opportunity in 95, which basically was the Haley's Comet of success here. They had a run of about three weeks. And that really, that was the grass that was, oh, wow, this is what it's really like. But then you got to know what it was really like for in the regular season to win. 12, 13 games a year. And to be picked and to be in that 430 window, to be on national television all the time. And it was so weird to be over there and watch all of that come to a conclusion. All that was over. The Manning quote of, I really enjoyed being your quarterback. And it was probably followed by in the hallway afterwards. I can't wait to stick it to him one of these days again. But it was 11 years ago. Incredibly surreal still to think about that. And that went to show you if, if uh, and that's why, you know, we've gone through the whole luck stuff. And really, when you look at it, I it hadn't been that enjoyable since, has it? Has it been that enjoyable? Just the first three years of luck. But then, you know, the years followed after the first three years. And then, obviously, how that ended and the time since kind of all makes up for it in terms of the bad. So, yeah, probably not. 
I'm not sure a lot of you would be on board with doing the same thing as they did that last time, knowing what you know right now, which is hindsight is 2020. But I'm going to talk to Chris Hagan a little bit later on. We were both out there, and I was at the night thing whenever a night was cut loose, and I was at that, and they were both surreal. The Manning thing, I just got, what is going on here? Couldn't believe it. And I stand by my take, which may have been, it's so funny, takes on this show, normally when they're bad, they're laid to rest like bad, right? I mean, they're that bad. They're just done. It's over. Stick a fork in it. But that bad take actually made its rounds through the bad and then popped back up to the good, to the, oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe you were right. And, of course, that was the that was the keeping Manning and drafting Andrew Luck. That was my take. That was my take. Because I wanted to have it all. <laughs> I don't know. You look at it now, maybe that would have been a good plan. Maybe not, but maybe that would have been a good plan. It's 11 years ago today. And it felt like asking the question, Knowing what you know right now, would you do that all over again or would you keep him? And I I know all the other things that also fell in line there. You know, all the cuts, the dismantling of that particular era because of the salary cap. I completely understand all that. But would you do it all over again? I might have to type that up and present that for you on Twitter coming up a little bit later on. This kind of stuck out to me. When I was reminded of that earlier today, this date in history of Indianapolis was uh, a big one in terms of the Colts and professional sports. No doubt about that. All right, college basketball conversation to come. Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers set to join us coming up at some point in the 4 o'clock hour. I want to get his thoughts on that final game against Michigan. Obviously, he got off uh, fouling too much. Uh, that particular game, I, what should I say, got caught fouling too much? I'll get to who else got caught fouling too much last night in just a second. Much to a lot of you out there, which is still befuddling to me. I I will never get that. Hey, look, that guy had a really bad game. That's my favorite team. All right. Woo! You guys are whack. Some of you, not all of you. Some of you have the dumbass real good. Not all of you, but some of you. But Galloway got caught up in foul issues. Galloway has been a big part of when this team is playing at its finest. When this team is, what would Samuel L. Jackson say in Pulp Fiction? When this team has been tip-top. He has been right there among those playing at a high level. That is exactly what they have to get back to. exactly what they have to get back to you could not have presented does any iu fan out there remember a time when you look at the bracket and i know because of the complete and utter lack of i mean flushing right down the toilet type of success that iu has had historically in the big 10 conference tournament I know that there's not a great deal of, of real belief out there. I mean, you're in terms of, of this tournament as Purdue fans are with the NCAA tournament. 
you're excited. Hey, I can't wait. Get there. But then then you got to watch it. And then you got to hope what you really feel is going to happen deep down inside doesn't. And with Purdue fans, that's the NCAA tournament. With IU fans, that's the Big Ten tournament. It used to be just, uh, you know, I don't really care what happens, whatever. It's the Big Ten tournament. It's meaningless. Now you're saying, can you just put together some wins? Because when you think about it, you look at that bracket and you could not be more tailor-made for IU to get on a bit of a run right here. It could not be more tailor-made for us. And this would be, you talk about hanging from a sports arousal. That would be me on Sunday. If we can get IU Purdue part three. Because let's face it, so far for Hoosier fans, it's been really good. So far, in terms of, if you want to go the original and the sequel, I would guess right here, I would guess for IU fans, it'd been like the Godfather and the Godfather Part 2. That's how good it's been for IU fans against Purdue so far this year. Now... On the other hand, for Purdue, it's probably been, I don't know, one of the Friday the 13ths that Jason takes Manhattan and Jason goes ballistic against Antarctica or something. It's been one of those types of sequels right here. So they're looking for a rebranding in this rivalry. Let me tell you, the spark, the sports arousal would be there on Sunday if we can get it. Honestly, who would be there with me? I think you all would be there with me. That is one, I think, not commonly, are IU and Purdue fans together. And it makes sense, right? Heated rivalry. I do say this, and I know that there are not a lot of IU fans are going to own this, and that's okay. But a lot of IU fans like Painter a great deal. I know that you do. I know that you do. You just don't say it out loud too much. You don't go to your IU party with your pony keg of Heineken and drink that up and talk about it. I'm sorry, your pony keg of Rolling Rock and drink that up and go, you know what? I really like Purdue's coach. You don't say it out loud that way, but you kind of do. But honestly, I think everybody can come together on this. Everybody can come together of this is how this Big Ten season needs to end. Who's with me on that? You've got to be with me on that. And the opportunity is absolutely there. You know, it's kind of funny. When you think about things you want to see or matchups that you're just watching the clock and the thing is ticking backwards, it's going so slow to get to the tip of that game that you so anxiously await, whether it's basketball or football, whatever. It's like the clock is going backwards. What's funny, look back on this. Look back on all those times when you so, again, anxiously awaited a game and how most of the time that turns out. See, that is my, you can't be afraid of it. I'm not asking you to be afraid of it. I'm just telling you more times than not when I sit back and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me and my bad luck. I'll be honest with you too. I'm a tad superstitious. A month ago, a black cat crossed my path. I literally went a mile out of my way not to go that direction. 
<laughs> Seriously. I went, oh, hold on a minute. I don't need, I've got a lot going on in my gig right now. I don't need this. And then last night, you talk about one of the biggest pains in the butt ever. And you saw him, you saw him on Fox 59 a week ago. Zeke, the cat, Zeke is Laney's cat. Zeke was trying to, I, I don't know what he was trying to swipe at my head when I was on Fox 59 from the uh, from the fireplace mantle the week before last, and it served, served his ass right. He fell off. <laughs> he fell off, and everybody laughed, and it was funny. I didn't know what was going on behind me. But Zeke's messing around the house last night, you know, just being, hey, I'm cool, and you're not paying attention to me, and knocked over a mirror and broke it, and I was aghast. I thought, are you kidding me? So who gets the bad luck on this? Hopefully Zeke gets it. I don't think I deserve it. But I just wanted to make sure, fair warning, that a mirror was broken near me last night, thanks to that stupid cat, Laney's cat. It's a good thing she's Laney. No, if she wasn't Laney, there'd be no cat. But she's Laney, and it doesn't take too long for Laney to talk me into basically anything. <laughs> True. So, yeah, fair warning, I, I broke a mirror check that the cat broke a mirror it was near me last night so as i talk about this right now know that most of the time when you highly anticipate a matchup and it actually does happen how often does it live up to the expectations so i don't think that that's a cautionary tale i don't think it's a warning or anything like that i just know that to be true and I'm normally not as as pessimistic as it sounds right there, but just most of the time, yeah, I know you guys are saying you anxiously awaited Indiana State on Saturday and look what happened. Well, Indiana State is so different because Indiana State losing to the one seed Bradley in the semifinals of Arch Madness on Saturday by a point, I mean, it was almost like, okay, well, that's not as bad as it has been, which is not saying much. But it's not as bad as it has been. They were competitive. They were competitive and they showed signs. They were competitive and showed signs just like what? Just like what you hope that the Colts do coming up this year. Just like what you expect the Colts do to do this year. And just like what most of the time this season outside of that length of time when Tyrese Halliburton was out due to injury, that's what the Pacers have given you. They have given you, and I know it's fashionable to say entertaining win or check that entertaining loss or whatever. Um, I think that whole thing sucks. Like, I know everybody was happy because you scored a ass load of points last night. Everybody did. Everybody's scoring. That's what everybody loves scoring. I love scoring too. At some point, at some point, you're going to have to try to bring back the defense. Like, in 15 years, if it keeps going in this direction, because these three-pointers are so easy now, and the offense and the calls are so skewed for the offense, they're going to be scoring like you're going to get to 200, and you're going to oh, yeah, they only got to 200 tonight. One of these days. Yeah, you laugh about that, but one of these days. I might be dead, but one of these days, that's going to happen. 
If you don't do something about it, I don't know what you do about it. I don't know if you mess around with lines. I don't know if you lengthen the floor. One thing you could do is not make it so easy for some guys to get to the free throw line because honestly, (laughs) and let me tell you this, I thought basically five of the six on 33 last night were absolutely legit. I know a lot of you said, hey, I can't believe all these fouls. They were absolutely legit. The first two reaching in, I mean, just stand straight up. And I'll get to that in a second, a little bit more in depth on it. I thought all but the last one, the last one where Embiid kind of fell out of bounds under pressure. I thought that that was was lame, but I thought everything else, that offensive foul was absolute. He just charged right down the lane, you know, kind of like what Embiid did a little bit earlier in the game to Jalen Smith and then Embiid plowed into Jalen Smith. And and while it was heavy contact, Jalen Smith still was moving. Now, even though Embiid had his shoulder down and he was creating that heavy contact, Smith was still moving. And I don't know about anybody else, but I get a great deal of enjoyment out of watching Joel Embiid shoot 20 free throws. NBA action, it's fantastic. I love that. I don't know what I love more, watching Joel Embiid shoot 20 free throws or watching Bill Kennedy give us a paragraph reading and what just went down and then after this review, how the call is accurate or inaccurate. Stands or change. (laughs) Bill Kennedy's a little wordy. It's a little bit wordy. My man... It looks like he's reading off a teleprompter. Is he reading off a teleprompter? But now getting back to it, five of the six were beyond legit. But I get sick and tired of all these guys, too. It's Luca is the same thing. And the thing you don't like about him, he'd be glorious for like, um, you know, fatties like me that love to play basketball and still do. He should be our hero. Because he's not in the best shape, but my man can dismantle basically anybody out there. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. You, you often think about if he got in real, and I mean real NBA, what some of these guys are in, NBA shape, you talk about wrecking some people. It's incredible. But he should be one of my favorites, yet he can't be because it is just a constant gripe fest after everything but he still gets to the free throw line seemingly 15 20 times a game and there's nothing fun about watching that just like there was nothing really fun about watching Embiid get there as much as Embiid got there last night or watching the way that James Harden draws fouls okay he's going to put his arms up well you can't you know make sure you don't reach these guys aren't reaching they're putting their arms up and then Harden just with his upward motion just kind of dives into it man that's lame I don't like watching that crap but granted that's not what we're here for we're here for last night and we're here for last night as to why this Pacer team lost well defensively on either side It just came down to there was much more offense in Philadelphia, and rightly so, than there might be with the Pacers. But again, it's it's one of those things where you guys, not all of you, but some of you look at it as very entertaining game, scored a lot of points, 
We got to watch Joe L. Embiid shoot a lot of free throws. That's really fun. Now, I'd rather see Frisbee catching dogs at halftime than watch Joe L. Embiid march to the free throw line 20 times in the game, but that's what happened. Five of the six against Miles were absolutely legit. And once again, Miles got destroyed. Miles got destroyed by Joel Embiid. Now, I will also tell you this. Joel Embiid destroys everybody. Look at his numbers. Game after game after game. He destroys everybody. Now, here's what I would do, and I'm not expecting anybody to share this particular opinion, but this is what I gathered last night, so... Miles was kind of a late addition to the injury report. And then he ended up going. It's the first time in a couple of years we've seen this matchup, which has sole ownership of Joel Embiid without question in the past. So it's the first time in forever we've seen that matchup. Two years. So Joel Embiid, just as Joel Embiid in that game, as Joel Embiid would be against anybody else. And Miles... Miles just needs, and I know that this is simple, and you go, oh, what do you mean by that? He needs to just chill a little bit. The next time he matches up with Embiid, try to counter what Embiid, you know what Embiid's going to do against him because it's playing a role. He gets in his head. He comes power game at him, and he knows and feels he's either going to score or he's going to go to the free throw line. And I thought last night Miles helped that out a great deal early. Those first two fouls, you just can't get. He's probably going to get near the rim if he wants to get near the rim. Stand there with your arms up. Don't reach. And then go back on the other end. Don't have that mess with your mind. Go back on the other end and give him something that he doesn't want. And I'll give you two things that he doesn't want. One is having to come out and guard somebody from distance. He doesn't want to mess around with that. And that's supposed to be a part of his game. So utilize that some. I mean, it was difficult last night when he played 10 minutes. He wasn't out there, you know, two and a half minutes, three and a half minutes over spurts the entirety of the game. But again, that was on him. Like five of those I felt was legit. You look back on it, you can disagree, but I felt that at least five of those were completely legit but do what this guy doesn't want to do he doesn't want to mess around with anybody on the perimeter and that's one of the good things about miles this year miles has started going more because of the presence of tyrese halliburton to the rim high ball screen and roll if you notice if you notice miles knows that at least 50 percent of the time he's going to see the ball Coming off that high ball screen action with Halliburton, Miles also knows if he does the same type of action with Buddy Heald or Andrew Nemhart, that he likely isn't going to see it. But I just think that, that Miles in this matchup, and again, it's the first time in two years, but you could tell he was pressing. You could tell when Embiid was off the floor, he was pressing. Now, I got news for you. Everybody's going to get whooped by this guy. Until his feet crumble at some point again, which will happen, 
until his feet fall apart at some point again, he is going to wreck nearly everybody he matches up with. So just recognize that. Go out and do your best to counter what he is doing on the offensive end. And don't let him get in your head. He so easily gets in his head. He just goes right at him, pushes him out of the way, dunks, lays it up, goes right at him, creates contact, gets a foul call. Miles goes to sit down. And basically because of that, 33 wasn't out there very often, and when he was, he he looked messy. Look, Quinn said it toward the end of the game. I, I can't remember exactly how Quinn put it. Uh, he referenced it as, you know, you can kind of tell. I think he was wanting to suggest that Miles was pressing because he knew that Embiid was up and all over him. And that part was true. I think... I think Quinn mentioned that, well, you know, Miles is sensitive. I think he meant he's sensitive in the understanding that these matchups prior to have not at all been close and Embiid has been dominant. I think that's what he was trying to say, which is accurate. At some point, you just kind of got to flip it. And I know he went at him once, and I didn't mind that when he went at him with the dunk. And went strong, which, hell, I thought that was an offensive foul. They went and reviewed that. I thought that was an offensive foul. But he went at him hard. You know, he missed the dunk, but ended up elbowing Embiid, and I think in the forehead. I don't mind that, but, man, one of his strengths is being able to face up. And to the detriment of Embiid, he doesn't want to mess with, he doesn't want to really present the effort to go out there and have to check anybody. You saw that a couple of different times when Jalen Smith, and Jalen Smith had a nice performance last night. Jalen Smith had all that space because Embiid did not want to come out and check him and put it up and knock down a couple of threes. Yeah, just chill. I know that that's simple sounding, and I know that it's easier said than done. But everything, and you could tell last night everything was all mixed up. And I just thought, I thought that approach kind of led to where he was. Those first two fouls, he basically was taken out of it. I don't think he came back until like the five-minute mark of the second quarter. Didn't take him very long to get his third. You know, obviously third quarter, you get your fourth and so on and so forth. But yeah, just just look at it as, all right, let me go ahead and see what I can counter to what I know he's going to do. Because Embiid does the same thing every time. And that is also with being able to knock down face-up threes. And he can do that. But with Miles, he's going to go at Miles like that every time. Because he has, in the past, understood that he has had ownership of this matchup. Miles is going to have to do something and change that around. And this jump shot that he can knock down is the first passage of trying to get back into this matchup when it happens again. It just it seemed like that he was all out of whack all night. So that's why I say just chill. Because he was far from that last night. They kept putting the camera on him on the bench. Looked all discombobulated over there. Just chill. Just chill. He he will wreck Giannis. He will wreck anybody he's going against. He's going to wreck everybody until his feet wreck him. 
He's too big, too strong, and there's no doubt this dude's talented. He also is from Kansas, and I think Kansas sucks. And I hate watching Philadelphia, <laughs> frankly. But there's no doubt that he is incredibly good. You just, yeah. Utilize that that shot outside. See if he can bring him out, frustrate him that way. And didn't just kind of chill out. I mean, if he gets in there into to his own where he can make it, where he pushes you in, muscles you in, you know, don't give him an and one just for the sake of trying to put up some resistance. He was just pretty discombobulated all night long. That would be my advice. I, and listen, I, I watch enough to know. Don't get me wrong here. I watch enough to know, and you can certainly tell last night. The Sixers over the Pacers. We'll talk about that. Tony East is going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Hagan's going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour, too. Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers and Greg Rakestraw coming up on the other side. Colts, draft stuff, it's funny. Yeah, you watch Twitter. Twitter's funny. Twitter's pretty funny. We'll get into some of the Twitter notes on what the Colts should do coming up a little bit later on. James is here. I'm John inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Good to see everybody present and accounted for so far, but there's room for everybody else. We have KISS tickets to give away November the 25th, Gambridge Fieldhouse. You can win them all week long. We'll give somebody a chance when you hear a KISS re-entry a little bit later on to win those tickets. You've got HD Radio, you've got the stream, the app, and your calls and Greg Raystraw coming up next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Don't go away. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Son, you got a panty on your head. You drive fast, eh? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I was supposed to come back with Let's Chill by Guy in terms of Miles Turner. I got to do that next time. I should have been better thinking. Somebody checked my brain. Scoop writes this, assuming the Bears and Cardinals won't take a quarterback, I think the Colts should stay at four and pick whoever is left from Young or Stroud. Scoop, here's what's going to happen. They're going to stay at four and they're going to draft Will Levis. Now, again, I reserve the right to change my opinion because it is way, way too early to make that call. But sitting here right now because you ask, Scoop, that's what I would tell you. It is way, way, way too out of character for Chris Ballard to jump up to number one. And I know from Todd McShay to what's his uh, Dubler or Gibbler, Dane Brugler, I was close, Gibbler or Brugler. Um, they all believe that they're going to trade up. That's one of those things I'm going to believe it when I see it. After six years, you would think that a little exercise of a change of pace would be in order. I just don't think it is going to be this. I would much, much, be, much more shocked 
if they traded up than I would if they traded back. So I bet they stay at four. Thinking Will Levis would be in that category. Again, I reserve the right to change my opinion. That's not what I want, by the way. I just think sitting here right now, that's what's going to happen. If you're on hold, I'll get back to you in a second. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he, among other things, the Colts postgame show host. So trade up, trade back, stay at four. I'm asking you this right now. What do you think Chris Ballard and company will do? Trade up. And again, I think there is also a scenario where they don't have to get to one. I think they could get to two. Now, let me explain. They're not trading with the Houston Texans. Houston's not going to trade with them. I could see a scenario where the Bears trade with Houston. Houston ensures they get what they want at one, and then the Bears continue to deal. They want to go too far down the line. I could see the Bears then making the deal with the Colts at the number four position as well. So whether it's getting to, to one, two, or three, I'm all for trading up to get the guy you want. I am all for getting the guy that you want. It's just one of those things where I'm going to see it when I believe it. I I mean, parting parting with really anything pick-wise, I'll see it when I believe it, I guess. And I I am not of the opinion, and again, this is the time of year where you're trying to drive up that value if you're Chicago as much as you can. Yep. And you don't care who, you know, obviously you care what level of pick you're getting back this year. You don't want to fall too far down the first round. But I understand why they're trying to get three ones out of it. I get it. It, it is a seller's market. But am I, am I trading three first-round picks for that pick? No. Uh, but would I trade a couple and, and probably a second-round pick and then a, another third-day pick at some point this year next? Yeah, I probably would. I get everything that you're saying. I still think the need and the situation has to overcome the way business has been done the last six years. Greg Raystraw joins us. IU or Purdue? Big Ten title opportunity here. Who's this better, in your opinion? In terms of the tournament? In terms of the tournament, my good man. I don't think it frankly matters to either one of them, to be to be blunt. Um, I realize that the tournament history has been worse for IU. It would be kind of nice to, to, to check that box. Um, you know, Purdue to some degree is playing for potentially a number one seed. I'm not sure that's that big of a deal at, at this point. I think for them, it's, hey, if you win, great. And if not, let's get on to the next one and, and, and know it's the real thing. And if you're Indiana, again, you can check a box in terms of trying to do something you've not done and be successful in a Big Ten tournament. Your season is still going to be judged as to what happens in the NCAA tournament. So I, I think both these teams honestly can kind of play a little free Friday if they get to Saturday, then on to Sunday and if it's each other or, you know, they have a chance to play for a championship, then Sunday is a big deal. But it's honestly kind of a house money round, I think, for both of them because so much of what their season is going to be remembered by isn't this week but what starts next week. So I'm getting a little ice water bath on my sports arousal potential for Sunday here. Why are you doing that to me? Come I'm, on, I'm, man. I'm sorry to ruin your sports chub. I apologize. <laughs> um, hey, come on, know. man. I want to see so, round three. Let's go. If, if they get to round three, then it's a big deal. Okay, seriously. If they both get to Sunday, then you can get all fired up. You you can find a CBS version of Skinamax to watch the game and have yourself a good old time. Um, if they get to each other on Sunday, great. And if not, be be blank D as far as I'm concerned. I I assume that you did not mention that as a possibility because you really don't believe that to be a possibility. Is that true? Um, again, I. I think it's a possibility. 
And, and, and I think, frankly, there's almost any permutation in the Big Ten other than, like, Minnesota making a deep run just because I don't think there's that big of a gap. There's a gap from Purdue to everybody else. There's a gap from Minnesota in the other direction everybody else. And 2 through 13, I don't think there's that big of a difference this year. And, again, I, I think this is a year where the Big Ten's going to get a lot of teams in the, in the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure how many of them are going to go far. I think Purdue and Indiana will go farther than most. But I think there's a whole lot of average this year in the Big Ten, which means Wednesday through Sunday, Lord knows what might happen. And let the records reflect of this show on this Tuesday that in mathematics, a permutation is a set of loosely speaking an arrangement of its members into a sequence or linear order, or if the set is already ordered, a rearrangement of its elements. Now, was this the math class you passed at UND? Because that's pretty impressive. Oh, I just wikipedia that while you were talking right there because I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Okay, because I I, I knew you required some assistance in math, and and then hence you were in Indiana State and, and you know, in Vincennes at at the conclusion of of that assistance. So I I thought you did actually learn something in that class. I was working my uh, Rubik's Cube or that – remember that little uh, thing that you could slide around the numbers? And you had a – you remember that little thing, the slide around the plastic numbers? That's, is that a protractor? Is that what you're talking about? No, it's that little square thing. It was a game where you slid around oh, these plastic okay. numbers. I, it had numbers on it, so there was no way in hell I was playing it. But a lot of people did back then, and they tended to be somebody that wa- would be rather uh, rather strong in, in terms of mathematics, I guess. Well, I would I would qualify for the nerdery of that. Uh, I'm not sure the Rakestraw family or the financial wherewithal to provide that to me uh, back in those, in those days. All right, so a, a one- and a four, is that going to be the outcome of IU-Purdue come Selection Sunday? Maybe a little bit more work for either one? I mean, obviously, if Purdue were to lose on Friday, that probably will jeopardize, depending upon what happens to everybody else, the one line here. But what do you think Selection Sunday will hold as far as numbers for both of these teams? So, again, I, I think Purdue is going to be a, a four or five not, not not seed, but like overall in the country. In other words, I think they're like the okay. last one, or they're the first two. So I think that's really kind of what they're playing. That there's not much wiggle room, you know, for them at this point. It's going to be one of those kind of two overall slots would be my guess. And again, I th- I think for Indiana, I think they're on the four or five line. I don't think they're going to go any worse than a five. Uh, if if they make a run, they're probably going to be a four. And again, let's acknowledge that so much of the seeding work at the top of the bracket is done Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In other words, if Indiana gets the championship game on Sunday afternoon, what's to say that their seat already hasn't been locked up and determined at that point with a selection show coming 30 minutes or so after the conclusion of that championship game. So I think you're pretty much spot on on that. So Greg Graystraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, so the sectional play is is now done. We go to the regional round. Is the regional round just like that of what we saw with the girls a month ago? That is correct. So you, you're going to the same sites, and there was still a draw for that. So, like, for example, in Indianapolis, the winner of sectional 9, which was New Pal, is playing the winner of sectional 12, which is Brownsburg, the winner of sectional 10, Cathedral, playing the winner of sectional 11 in Ben Davis. That was still a draw that was done back at the pairing show, the first one, on February the 19th, but you play one game. So, like, again, I'll I'll be at Southport on Saturday afternoon. There will be a 1 o'clock game. There will be trophies handed out. Nets will be cut. Celebration will be had. 
floor is cleared, not the gym. You know, if you don't have to leave, you can you can sit around and watch. But game number two is not going to start until four o'clock. So for the teams, you play once this Saturday and that's it. Then you get to next Saturday and hope to play twice because if you win twice, you're going to the state championship game. What impressed you about either what you witnessed or what went on around the state this past weekend? You know, um, you know, I was at Warren Central. And Cathedral looked awfully good. Now, they are a different team than last year because there is no substitute for a Tayshawn Comer. You know, he was such a great point guard at the high school level. And Cathedral doesn't have anything close to that this year. I mean, they've got three Division One athletes that start uh, in terms of uh, Jake Davis, Xavier Booker, Jerron Tibbs. And then you bring in a kid like Kamari Slaughter who transfers in from Portage. Great score, great add for them. And sincere Germany is a solid player. Nobody's a true point guard. Uh, and so now that is the concern for Cathedral. Talent-wise, they match up with anybody, namely Ben Davis, in the state, where they don't match up as the point guard spot. And so can Ben Davis defensively do enough to hound Cathedral's guards where that mismatch is the deciding factor as those two teams have a rematch coming up uh, on Saturday afternoon? New Pal and Brownsburg. As you mentioned, also at Southport, that's a 1 o'clock tip. Have these two teams played before? They have never played before. That's incredible. Uh, that's to incredible. my knowledge, exactly. What, what, what it also does, it kind of shows, you know, that, that you know, New Pal has never had that really a deep run in, in boys' basketball, the way they have in other sports. Um, and obviously, that is a, that is a community that's still growing. You know, they really have just kind of solidified themselves in terms of being a 4A school year in, year out over the course of the last five or six years. Um, but but those are two very good teams. Brownsburg is a team that I think is a state championship contender next year uh, just because of how good Cannon Catchings will continue to be. They do lose one senior in El Haj Diallo off their team this year, but they virtually bring almost everybody else back that sees major minutes. So Brownsburg can be a factor now. Um, but but I, I, again, next year I, I think it's probably close to being their year. And New Palace, a team that didn't lose till the end of January, early February, um, and and that area, this is probably the best that Hancock County has ever been in hoops because Greenfield's the best they were in 20 years. Mount Vernon started three freshmen and, and made the sectional championship game. So New Pal played their usual schedule, but that usual schedule was better than it would be in most years. So, you know, that that is not a JV slash varsity game. Those are, you know, a doubleheader. Those are two teams that are really good that are playing in the 1 o'clock game as well. So Bloomington North has that Roberts kid that's going to Vanderbilt, and they beat, they beat Center Grove in the sectional last week. So it's Bloomington North and Columbus North at 7 o'clock and see more, but I did want to ask you about this because I guess maybe it's just me that may be interested, but I know they have a first-year head coach at Evansville Wrights. Evansville Wrights and Jennings County. I do know the last time Wrights was really good, and obviously they lost to uh, the late Caleb Swanigan's Homestead team, I believe, right, in the state championship right. game, and they ra- right. they would run it and gun it like crazy. Is Jennings County kind of like what Evansville Wrights was prior to when they were good a couple of years ago. Is that how Jennings County plays? Jennings County tends to get up and down the floor. Jennings County has won a sectional for the first time in, in 18 years. Oh. And basically all of Jennings County was at the Lloyd Scott Gymnasium last week, including last night, because it was a wall of blue uh, looking at that down there. Um, Jennings County is a team that, that what is also going to be their legacy is that they had the toughest possible path in that sectional and won every game 
you know, they were down big late to Bedford. Found a way to get that double overtime. Didn't score a point in the first overtime. Still won because neither did Bedford in that first overtime. Then they're down double digits to Jeffersonville. A team that beat them in the regular season, and they win that game. And New Albany certainly wasn't their usual selves. But you're playing a guy that's won 600 games and was coaching to extend his career. He's retiring, and Jennings County found a way to win that game, too. So, you know, Jennings County has put up some points. Jennings County has some talent. But clearly, Jennings County's got some heart in terms of how they have won. And, you know, knowing where that, that, that regional is, that place is going to be full of Panther fans coming up on Saturday afternoon. That's going to be a, a big home court advantage for Jennings County. Greg Rakestraw is with us. Two things to close this out. I wanted to give a shout to Indian Creek for winning a sectional for the first time in, I believe, 23 years. They get Beach Grove in the regional. And then yeah, something I don't know if we've talked to very much, but North Davies won the title in Class A a year ago and jumped yep. 2A, went to 3A, and they won the sectional. And you know they get Gibson Southern, which – have we ever seen a double jump like that with a team that makes it back ultimately to the state championship game? Because North Davies, Greg, I don't know if you've looked at it, they have a pretty decent shot they to do. do that. They do. And and so let, let's explain the North Davies story. So they went up to 2A, not on the success factor. They went up on enrollment. And, they, and, and that is because the enrollment barrier – to be in 1A keeps dropping. As, as more new charter schools get added, right. the, the top end of 1A keeps coming down. It's around 280 or so right now is that current cutoff line. And so they elected uh, to go from 2A to 3A, and there's a couple of different ways of, of looking at that. One of those is that, hey, you're in the same sectional as Washington, so you've got a natural rival if you do that. Did they not want Linton? The, the, the more cynical yeah. way of looking at that would be Lynn Stockton's in 2A, yeah. Brownstown Central is in 2A. Right. Seemingly, the and as you have noted, you know I think there were two ranked teams in the top 10 going into the postseason in 3A in the southern half of the bracket. It, the, the northern half of the bracket's really loaded in 3A this year. So you're right. It, it, there is very much a chance for North Davies to make the 1A final in 2022 and play in the 3A final in 2023, that opportunity is in front of them. I, I can't remember when that's happened before. Can you? No. No, I mean, just because teams have not made the double jump like that. Right. And, and again, it, it was scenario and, and circumstance where, you know, there, there have been teams that have elected to play up a classification. No one has elected to play up in two classifications. And again, let me state, they did not elect to. They were going to be bumped to 2A. They elected to play in 3A. And now here's their opportunity. You know what? They got it all down there. They got the Odin meat locker. They got the Dutch pantry. And they got a high level of basketball in 3A right now. That's great. And I had the chance to call two of their games in the Hall of Fame Classic. And I'll be on the 3A call in a couple of weeks as well. So I might exa- I might see some North Davies folks again coming up at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in about uh, yeah. 12 days or so. That's a pretty good uh, chance you're going to see that. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I guess I'll talk to you again on Saturday, right? Yes, sir. Of course. Um, thanks for you know taking care of the request yeah. over the weekend. I always, appreciate that. Always, buddy. You know that. Just uh, especially if I got to dig deep, just give me a little <laughs> heads up. That's why. That's why I always try to give you a, a bit of a. There is a believe it or not. There's a pre-show meeting for my phone call with JMB every week. So I'll, I'll be in on Friday afternoon. We'll have that conversation then. All right, buddy. Appreciate you.
See you, pal. So Greg Rakeser on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The North Davies story is pretty interesting, too. And again, shout out to Indian Creek. First time in 23 years. That's a big deal. They get Beach Grove in the regional. Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Tony East, Chris Hagan, Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers still to come on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Well, you're going to have to say that. You're going to have to speak up because I can't hear you. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Tony East, uh, Pacers-Sixers last night. Sixers get the win. Pacers up next at home against the Rockets on Thursday night, I believe. Chris Hagan's going to drop by here a little bit later on. For those of you asking, St. Patrick's Day is going to be, again, downtown at O'Reilly's. That's always an absolute glorious mess. Can't wait for that. Trackside tonight at 7 o'clock. That and more with you and your phone calls and KISS tickets coming up. Gamebridge Fieldhouse, November the 25th. KISS will be here and your chance to win when you hear a KISS re-entry. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Indiana Hoosiers, they're uh, waiting on their competition with that double bye Friday night, round about 9.30. Guard Trey Galloway joins us. Hey, Trey, thank you very much for the time. How you doing? Of course, I'm doing well. How you doing? What is the... What is the time like right now? Is it more working toward Friday in that game, or is there a little bit of rest and relaxation from what has been a long, grinding year to this point? Yeah, um, I'd say a little bit of both. Um, I mean, obviously we know that this time of the year, um, everyone's tired, so we're taking that consideration. And we had, we had an off day yesterday. Um, but today, kind of a little prep, um, kind of getting ourselves better um, and seeing what we have to do to prepare for Friday. I mean, we don't know who we play, um, but we're just trying, like I said, trying to get ourselves better and get ourselves ready. What does it feel like you uh, and your teammates are right now coming off that, that win over Michigan? Oh, it's huge. Um, to get the double bye, um, not to play till Friday's big time that's one thing we we wanted to be at the top of the big 10 um so to finish in the top three was, was, was big for us and i think just getting that win really solidified um that we are uh we're legit and we're ready to go so i think just being able to pull that game out was huge for us because uh, we were down in the second half we could have we could have folded um but i think we stuck together and um fought, fought our way out of it and found a way to get to the win did you get a bad whistle on sunday trey um, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed uh, to say I, it. I guess I can, but yeah. you can. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I gotta find ways to, to not be so handsy all the time. And, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think it was. Yeah, I don't, it was it was tough. Tough whistle. Yeah, I shouldn't have said yeah. bad. If I'd have put it that way, you might have answered it better. And I just uh, <laughs> I said bad whistle. Yeah. I can't say it. Tough whistle is is what you got. Now, now, do you know? Like when there's a certain official or set of officials out there, do you know when to be or you can be more handsy than others? Uh, that's a hard question as well. <laughs> um, you don't I have to name any names, but I mean, do you? Yeah. Do, I, 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 listen, you play hard defense whenever you're out there. I know yeah. that. All right, but do you, do you know that there might be some things that you can get away with in physicality yeah. more with some than others? 
Um, I think just kind of the flow of the game. Like there's some things you can get away with with others um, that you can't. And so I think just being smart and um, kind of just taking that question out of the air. Um, so that's one thing I can I can work on because there's some there's some fouls that I did. There was I was fouled. I think I can take eliminate some of those out of, out of the equation. That will help me be able to stay on the floor more. But I think just um, knowing who we're working with and knowing. Um, the cheap fouls that I do get and taking those away, I think that will be able to help me. Um, I won't have to worry about who's officially in the game or anything. So, like I said, just taking away some of those cheap fouls will be huge for me in this, in this um, run. He is Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers. They await some competition coming up at that 9.30 slot on Friday night at the United Center in Chicago in the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Trey, kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I describe your performance going back to that Purdue game as oftentimes, hey, go out and play with your hair on fire. Uh, and, you know, that's that's a good thing, but sometimes you can get a little bit over your skis, get going too fast. I, I thought you played at the fastest pace possible for you, and you stayed controlled. Did you feel you played that way, and is that what you strive to do? And I'm talking about on both ends, not just defensively. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I mean, the one thing with Purdue, they're, they're a great team, um, and that was one thing I try to do was just play as hard as I can because um, it, it's – one of the toughest places to play in the country. And I know I knew we, we needed a boost defensively. Um, so I was trying to do some things where I could kind of help us get a little um, boost on defense. And that was one thing I, I focused on the second half early was just being that spark plug um, and being finding a way to create defense to offense. And I think that really helped us um, with our momentum in the second half get going. And I think um, that's one thing I can focus on the rest of the year is just final ways on defensive uh, to lead to offense uh, for me and my teammates as well. Yeah, novice eyeball opinion here, but defensively, when, when you were matched up most of the time with Braden Smith, it, it kind of felt to me like you were trying to defensively push him to where you wanted him to go, not to where he wanted to go. Was that what you were trying to do? Yes. Um, I mean, because he, he's a great player and he controls their offense. Um, he, he does a great job of playing at his own pace. Um, so I think just kind of playing hard and keeping them um, from places where they want to go to initiate their offense is a big thing that I try to do. Um, okay. Obviously, they're still going to get the ball into Zach Eady. And so I think there's a, the game plan on all of our parts was, was, was critical. I think we executed it, and um, we found ways to rotate out of different situations. And I, I think all five guys in the court um, – put a huge role in stopping Braden and uh, the rest of their guys. And, and Trey Galloway joins us. That's a great point you make. And if you wouldn't mind, I, I'd like you to go a little bit more in-depth because it seems to me when you're playing somebody like Zach Eady that it's just as important to try to pressure and make difficult the entry pass to him than it is what you're doing once he gets the ball in the interior, correct? For sure, yeah. I mean, because we don't want just straight line passes into him because if he gets it um, with ease, he, he, he's I mean, he's one of the best players in the country, so he's he's going to score on anybody. So I think just pressing those passes out and making it hard on the guards to get in to him, um, it gives us gives our big time to push the push him out a little bit more, um, so he doesn't have an advantage as, as easy to score. So I think um, that was the game plan, was just kind of playing physical and um, playing hard. And I think that I think it really helped us out. So uh, Trey Galloway of the Hoosiers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I talked to Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, every Friday. And more times than not, he uh, will explain to me how whenever he sees you, he tells you to shoot. 
How often does he, he does. do that? Oh, every time he sees me, um, it's 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 pretty funny to to see. Um, but yeah, every every time he walks by, he's, he's always telling me to shoot it, which is kind of an ongoing joke we got going on, which is pretty pretty cool. You know, and it, it's funny. Do you? This may come off. I don't want it to sound bad. Do you need to be told that? Have there been moments where you you need to be told that? You need to be more aggressive um, offensively. Yeah, um, there's especially. Um, recently, they've, they've definitely told me to be more aggressive. Um, but I think my thing was just is always just trying to get the best shot possible because um, I feel like if we can get pass up a good shot or a great shot, that's, that's huge for us. But I think um, I can I can be more aggressive on offense um, and, and and take shots when I'm open. I, I think I've done a good job with that, taking shots yeah. and um, and being ready to knock it down when it comes out to me. Um, I can do an even better job, and I'm um, working on that. So it's been good. Yeah, I, and I, I know that uh, obviously you guys you, you, you try to get it on the interior to trace, but I'm oh. telling you these games, these games, Trey, when when you guys hit outside shots, that makes this offense play at its best abilities here and opens up absolutely everything because Trace is such a monster on the interior. For sure, no, it does. I mean, because when he when he catches it down low, it's they got to find ways to double him and, and get the ball out of his, his hands. So I think that if we stay ready um, and, and we're ready on the perimeter, and that's one thing our coach preaches is just being ready. And he trusts us too, which is the big thing. I think Trace, Trace trusts that he's going to get the ball back. And when he passes it out, he trusts that we're going to make shots. So I think that's been a big part um, of our of our offense is just being ready to knock it down when it comes out because he's a willing passer and he's a great passer as well. So that's been a big part of our offense. Has Mike Woodson told you to shoot more, to be more aggressive with the ball? Yeah, I mean he, he has, um, and he says when when they when they do pass it out to Greer to knock it down, I think that's the one thing he he's told me and some other guys like Miller and um, Tamar and uh, Jalen just be ready to shoot it when it comes out because um, it's going to come out because like I said he, he's going to pass it out and we got to be ready to knock it down. So, do you ever think when you're in high school and you know your school and everybody in high school back at, at Culver in the day, do you ever think yeah. that anybody was going to have to tell you? To, to shoot to shoot more I can't imagine that crossed your mind back then playing for your dad you know scoring at a high level being a high level player did you ever think you were going to have to be told in college you know what maybe you should shoot a little bit more Trey um no I don't think so that didn't really cross my mind in high school um because you know I mean everyone that plays in college is kind of the guy in high school um but I, I think even in high school there were some times where um I was passive because I feel like I can make plays for others um, and drive and do things so I think that's always been part of my game was just being able to make plays for other people and that's one thing I want to keep doing but like I said when, when it comes out to me I have to be ready to knock it down and uh, I'm on the drive to be able to finish and do certain things but um, no I, ne- I never I never really thought that. How much of, of playing for your dad and your dad being your coach has molded you into what you are right now? Um, I think it has a lot, a lot to do with everything. I think from a young age, he's really got me in the gym and, and helped me grow the, grow the love that I have for the game now. And I think just having him around and even in college now, he, he, he's always just kind of giving me tips um, to help me out. And I, I think he's done enough coaching where he's been on me hard enough that, that he doesn't have to do that anymore. But it's been really great to kind of just have him be there and be supportive, um, which has been great. He, he's found ways to just 
watch games and, and talk about the positive things and th- things you can do to help me out. What's the last thing? What's the last piece of advice he gave you? Actually, we are just talking about the, the fouling. Uh, I think some of the things that he did, I just kind of because some of those fouls that were called were were, were tough for me, um, especially when Hunter and boxing him out. So I think the one thing he was telling me to do was just um, when I am boxing him out, there's there's the what's the dude's going to go to the big man. So just kind of be able to sell, sell the foul and kind of flop a little bit, not flop, but kind of just be able to sell it and maybe 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 the what's will come to me. But I think just being down in the stance um, on the defensive end, so I don't have to get those certain fouls. That's what, that's what some of the things he's talking about. It's uh, Trey Galloway's with us. As I mentioned, you played for your dad at Culver. Who was last out of the gym, you or your dad? Oh, he was always last out of the gym. He's he's a gym rat. And he's always in there. And so I think, I mean, there, there's definitely days sometimes I'd be in there um, working on my game later than he was. But um, he would love to stay, just watch film on certain certain teams and just be in there um, and be in the gym. I, I think it's, it's, it's really cool to see because – he loves the game um, as much as I do. And um, I think that, that passion grew together even more as a, for him as a coach and for me as a player. Who has the highest level of, of competitiveness, you or your dad? Uh, I think I got it because it comes from my mom as well, too. So I got both their competitive um, nature. Cause my mom is just as big a competitor as my dad. So I think I think it doubled, doubled into me, so I got I got I got more. Yeah, it's, it's funny about it's funny about that too, Trey, because you know, we, we athleticism you have um, the high high level basketball IQ you have, but man, you are are nothing without that that competitive backbone that you have, and to get that double barrel action right there has to be incredibly helpful for mom and dad. For sure, it is, and I think just growing up with them and having them always be competitive with each other and bringing me around into it. It's, it's been great. So is Culver the military school or, or right, what is that yeah. like up there? Military? Yeah. Yes, it is. Hey, full disclosure, when I was in high school back in the 80s and I did some jackass type of stuff, my mom would always say, if you don't stop, I'm going to send you to Culver. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's kind of like the, the motto it gets. Um, people think that's, it's a punishment to go to Culver, but it's really not. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. The narrative is just like, I'm gonna have to send you away. That's where all the bad kids go. But no, it's not really what it is. Um, it's it, it's a great school, um, and it, it really builds a lot of character and discipline. Um, I think that's really the, the things that I learned there are incredible. And I, I I would if I had to do it again, I'd for sure do it. Um, and I think I think the relationship that I built there and the people there are just incredible. So I think. Everything about it is just it's special. How much of um, what you learn as far as, you know, discipline and integrity and all those things that they, they feature at Culver and teach you off the floor has helped you evolve as a basketball player at IU on it? I think it's helped me a lot, um, especially with the leadership aspect of the school. Um, they, they, they form great leaders and have great leaders there. And I think just – that like that discipline um, of doing the little things every day has really helped me here um, at Indiana. My basketball, I think, just doing the little things um, was 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 definitely a big aspect of my my time at Culver. So uh, Trey Galloway with us. Before I let you go, 
When was the turning point? Because obviously in December there was a struggle going on, you know, and Xavier yeah. Johnson got injured at Kansas. Uh, the Arizona game didn't go well. Um, there was a struggle happening. What, what was the signature moment to turn that thing around to help get you to where you are right now? Both you and your teammates, I guess. Um, I don't think there really was like a signature moment. I think it was just uh, the overall togetherness of our group um, and us, us coming together and and looking ourselves in the mirror and knowing that we had to had to turn around or our season was just going to be a waste. And I think that was the big thing for us when we lost those three games in January in a row. We came together and we really got back to work and tried to find things to do that um, would help us win. It was the little things of playing defense and going back to our discipline um, um, of our character and our defense. And I think that was our, our focus was we, we had to – come together on the defensive end um, to help our offense. And I think that's one thing that really turned um, in the month of January and, and February. How's Trace Jackson Davis as a teammate? He's a great teammate. Um, he wants to win the worst way possible. Um, and He's really become a great teammate and, and wants to win at all levels. So I think just having him around has, has been special because um, he, he cares about everybody. He wants everybody to so that's a big part when you have your best player when everybody do well and I know you dug Culver and all but man there had to be you, you, you get a little like shot of freedom when you first got down in Bloomington right you just, ooh, a little shot of freedom yeah. maybe a little bit 100% yeah because um, <laughs> listen it, I'm from it, down it, there Bloomington Bloomington is a hell of a place to be it's a good town it is yeah I mean it's different because where I'm, where I'm coming from Culver is just so structured everything is just no time time-consuming and different things. When I got here, it was just, I had a lot of stuff to do with different things I could do. So it was fun. Um, it was a good time. And I'm, I'm glad I chose Indiana. There's no way that Miller Cop could have gone to Culver, right? No way? None? Um, I think he would have thrived there. What's that? He would have loved it. Oh, he really? Thrived at Culver. Yeah, he thrived <laughs> yeah. I think I, I tell him all the time, him and Anthony Leo will both be two guys that would love Culver and would, would, would never want to leave. Man, Leo went to Bloomington South. There's no way. There's no way yeah. he's Culver material at Bloomington I South. Think, I think he is. Yeah, he, he, he'd be able to do it. I will say this. J.R. Holmes is a hell of a coach. So, I, I mean, he played for a guy that's going to give you some discipline. But I don't know, man. He did. Hey, great great to talk with you. Get a little bit of rest. Get back on board. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not, I, I don't want you to say this because you shouldn't, but – this bracket's good looking right here, and there is a hell of an opportunity to have a great weekend in the Windy City. So get down to business yep. and get that done, and and uh, we'll see what can happen this weekend up in Chicago. But man, thanks for the time. Great conversation. I do appreciate yeah. that, Trey. Do it again soon. Of course. Yep. Thank you so much. Have a good one. It's uh, Trey Galloway right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Wait a minute. Bloomington South to Culver. Seriously, my mom. My mom used to say, hey, jackass, uh, any more of this corning cars, soap and windows, riding your motorcycle when you're 12 to Bloomington, <laughs> any more driving my car when I'm asleep? What else? Yeah, don't drive that. Don't ride that motorcycle across the train, trestle, and all this stuff, right? There was always, uh, I'm going to send you to Culver. That was always a warning. It was like a punishment warning. 
So I had to find a little bit more. That's the first time I've ever had a conversation from anybody that attended Culver. So I thought that that was appropriate right there. That is a good conversation. <laughs> I'm sure. Bloomington South, Culver. Okay, I will say this, though. JR, JR's going to get into your ass. So there's no doubt. And Anthony Leal had a great career at Bloomington South, but he probably, as they say, got got from his head coach a couple of different times. But I don't know about that from South to Culver stuff. And and Miller Cop seems to me like to be a free spirit that may not may not respond too well to that either. I'm just guessing. Just guessing. Now, Trey Galloway podcast with that conversation at 1075thefan.com. Tony East on what happened last night, specifically, again, with the matchup. They hadn't had that matchup in two years because of injuries and such. But the whole Miles, the Miles Embiid matchup went as it has prior. And we'll go over that and more with Tony East coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Hagan's going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. Kiss tickets coming up as well. Your phone calls at 239-1070. For the first time today, that's coming up on the other side. And a shout-out to everybody inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Gritty, a.k.a. Jennifer. Gritty is a huge fan of Trey Galloway. That one was for you, Gritty. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. 93.5107.5, the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Here's Jenny! Don't! David Letterman! Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. Ninety-three-five and one zero seven five. The Fan Lounge YouTube Live. The Ride with JMV. Get in there. Get involved in the conversation. Kravitz, Delaney, not Bob. Josh writes this at JMV ten seventy. This is the twenty-fifth anniversary of the Big Ten tournament, and in that time. Michigan State has won it six times, Ohio State five times, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa three times, and Indiana zero. Zero point zero. Indiana is the Blutarski of the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Pretty unbelievable, JMV. That's from Josh. Indeed it is. Back when it first started, it was like, hey, you know what? The coach doesn't like it, so we don't either. (laughs) All kind of started like that. Don Fisher and I have had that conversation before. Hey, coach doesn't like it. We don't either. This sucks. Uh, But for a long time, it's been, let's get going here a little bit. Damian checks in. JMV, what if the Colts don't take a quarterback this year, run with Ellinger, are there any true franchise-type quarterbacks in the draft just playing devil's advocates? I mean, Caleb Williams next year is probably going to be that that number one overall, if you're having a guess right now. And Atlanta is going to make themselves so bad, they, I would guess, would be front runners for that. I wouldn't blank with it right now. I would seriously go out and draft somebody you like and move forward with it. That's exactly what I would do. 
This is Alan Stanley sending me March 7th, 2012. This is his tweet 11 years ago today. Peyton Manning is gone. First, the fat boys break up. Now this. <laughs> 11 years ago today, I sat absolutely dumbfounded in front of Peyton Manning, who was being released and was saying goodbye to the Colts and the Colts fan base on this date. 11 years ago, and it's still whack to me. Has there seemed as if there's been a great deal accomplished? What has been accomplished? I think if you could do it all over again, would you do it that way all over again? Clearly, you probably wouldn't because it's not like what you have gone through for the past, what, 11 years has been that great. Any sort of great. The first three years, everybody really excited. And yeah, since that point in time, it's been more of a crappy soap opera than it has anything else. Very true right there. Uh, This is from David Rowe regarding last night's Sixers-Pacers game. If they let Embiid bowl his way and clear the path with a forearm... Turner's second foul, then there's no way to stop him. That, David, is exactly what he does to Miles. Now, he does that. He also did that to Jalen Smith. But he knows he can just get in there and he can lower the shoulder, bang into Miles. Miles is going to reach. Miles is going to get fouls. And then this is going to go to Miles' head and it affects everything. I just want to see when these two, I don't even know what it is, when these two match up again, I want to see Miles have more of an outside offensive presence and bring him out of there. He doesn't want to come out of there. That's what I want to see. And I'll give it credit where credit is due here. And let's face it, Miles was trying to be physical, but it is nearly impossible for anybody to be physical with that dude. The only thing that can be physical to Embiid is his weight and his feet. His weight can be physical with his feet. That's the only thing. Everybody else takes an absolute beating. Here's what's interesting about this, too. And and you could tell, and, and Quinn even mentioned it last night, I think he, again, said it in the the form of, well, Miles is sensitive to how this matchup has gone over the years. And there's no doubt. I don't think they played against one another in two. But he certainly is sensitive to how this has gone over the years. And you could tell he knew it wasn't going well last night. And it was bugging him. But you got to try to clear your head as much as possible. And just understand this. I'm not trying to make excuses whatsoever, but everybody else takes a beating too. Well, wait a minute. He wants to be known as one of the best defenders in the NBA. Hey, some of the best defenders in the NBA take a beating just like that. Give up numbers just like that. You got to try to clear your head on it. Last night, there was way too much going on in there. And you could tell after those first two fouls, that was problematic. And then every time he got in there, seemingly he would get kind of a little confidence rolling and the next foul call would unravel it. That's why I said, just chill. Well, wait a minute. That's too simple. What are you talking about? Just chill. Try not to think about it so much. There have been many strides made. Say what you want. 
And all you have to do is check out my Twitter account. Last night, two years ago or whatever, it would have been just absolutely lousy with numb nuts. Lousy with it. Last night, I think I had like two or three, and they're like your garden variety numb nuts. So it wasn't a surprise. These are the numb nuts that practice numb nuttery at any point in time. So what I'm saying is you have, with what you have accomplished, especially this season, you have won over, certainly in the now, you have won over the confidence of the organization, of the players, specifically the point guard and the centerpiece of your team, and most of the fans, the fans that aren't dumbasses, you've won them over. You have proved to them. And last night's not going to unravel at all together. But what you have to do at some point, you have to get more competitive in this. And having this thing mind blank you, for lack of a better description, you can't let that happen. And I thought that that's exactly the spot in which we found him last night. That is a part of the growth, and that's the growth that you have seen from him, putting more of a consistent product on the floor, night in and night out. And he's had to overcome some things, had to gain confidence on things. This is maybe not in the now, but with the growth of this team, this is the next step. And then we shall see. Shane chimes in with this. Hey, JMV Manning could have got killed with the roster, Luckhead. And the Colts had extra money with Luck's rookie deal. Ursay did Manning a favor, cutting him and letting him choose his next team. I'm going to guess, however, while that is incredibly logical, Shane, that not a lot of people would. And again, that's given the outcome. Given the outcome and the path that we have seen over the years has not been an enjoyable path. Now, other than that ride in the first three where you climb all the way to the AFC title game, and you know, ever since everybody cried about a deflated football, things have been in the toilet around here. Oh, what about the deflated football? (laughs) Blame Bob Kravitz. He's the one that spilled it. He was told it, and I would go with it too because that was the scoop of the century right there. But good Lord Almighty, not since that point in time has there been really anything good. That is it. Hey, JMV, looking at Brady Mahomes and many others that ended up being a franchise quarterback, isn't it possible there's a quarterback besides the four everyone speaks of that is being overlooked and could be a franchise quarterback? Is it imperative to draft one of the top four? You have to be incredibly fortunate out of this, and there is no doubt. There might be a Russell Wilson when Russell Wilson was good, a Russell Wilson in the early years in Seattle type. Maybe there's somebody lurking there. Maybe there's a Jalen Hurts in the second round. And No, there's no doubt. But you have to have a great deal of conviction if you're Chris Ballard. And I will also tell you this. If there is somebody there, I mean, Chris Ballard is the type of dude that would trade back to try to find it, and then everybody around here would go nuts. I'm not certain that he would find it. But he would be one to trade back. What I'm talking about is having the conviction to do it. I could definitely see him doing that. 
and then everybody around here would lose it. My point is that if you're at number four, and I talk about this in terms of what I mentioned, that conviction in the quarterback that you really like, I say don't settle, and that's stupid because we're never really going to know if they settle because all they have to do is say, we trust our scout, and this is the guy where we drafted that we wanted. Whether you stay at four or you push yourself back or that you trade up. Now, if they trade up, then we're absolutely going to know that's who they wanted. But you're really not going to know otherwise unless they do that. Until I see more, I would suggest, and I know Greg Rakestraw was on earlier, and he disagreed. He thinks that they're going to trade up, but not all the way to number one. Maybe uh, do something at three with Arizona. Maybe do something to get, and that I would have to think that that may be a, a C.J. Stroud type of territory. However, the way that you look at it now, unless there's somebody that absolutely falls in love with Richardson, and maybe that's the case, does it kind of look like now that it's going to go young, Stroud? Maybe somebody jumps up that falls in love like the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders love incredibly athletic dudes. Maybe they fall in love with Richardson. We had Stephen Holder on yesterday, and he was talking about a team that he knows because he's following around and documenting following around last week. Richardson, a team that he knows that asked, and we were trying to guess who that was. A lot of you believe it was Carolina. Could very well be Carolina. Could very well be the Raiders. So if the Colts stay at four, then what four probably looks like Will Levis. If you're going to ask me to rank them, that's how I would rank them. And not not because I want them to draft Will Levis, because I would rank them to stay where they are at four. And then tell how much that they like Levis at four. If I were a betting dude and I went that direction, that's where I would take my odds sitting here right now more than anything else. JMV, name the last great muscle-bound quarterback of the NFL. There hasn't been one. Richardson will be a bust. I think my point was, though, Mark, that somebody somebody's going to fall in love. Somebody is going to get that consistent sports arousal in terms of the oh-wow of the combine. Somebody that's got a little bit of time to take a breather, either that has a quarterback like Stidham that could play right now, Like the Raiders, and then let somebody kind of evolve into that a little bit. Somebody will fall in love. I'm guessing somebody really high will fall in love with Richardson. I don't think it's going to be the Colts, but I think somebody will. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll lead with Mike on the other side. Tony East, Pacers conversation, top of the hour. Hagan's going to be here. About this date 11 years ago, College basketball and more with Hagen coming up at 5.30. Kiss tickets on the way as well. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Watch, listen, participate. All right there for you. That is YouTube Live, The Ride with JMV. We affectionately refer to it as The Lounge. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Rob's in at JMV 1070. JMV, the Colts start looking at these guys way in advance at the start of the year before the injury. Hooker was mentioned on equal ground with all the rest here. Hey, I'm not suggesting at all, Rob, that it would surprise me. What is he, 24 years old coming off an injury? That way, I'm, I would not be shocked. I'm not suggesting that's the direction they're going to go or what I believe in. But there's not a lot, especially in terms of, and I know that he made a joke about it to me a couple of different times last Wednesday, he being Chris Ballard on this show, podcast 107.5thefan.com. But no, I wouldn't be surprised if he felt compelled to trade back. I think we all kind of sit here and think after six years that there are going to be more than subtle changes in decisions in what the belief is that gets you a high-level, elite-level, consistent team. I, I don't think it's going to be exactly like that. What I gathered from him last Wednesday is going to be more decisions and beliefs as what we witnessed in the first six years. I don't think he's going to fade away from those beliefs. It would surprise me if he did. And it would definitely surprise me if he would be more than willing to give up any assets whatsoever in terms of first-round picks, a first-round pick in the future, or pay that heavy price tag to move all the way up to number one. Again, that's where you have to have conviction, and maybe this is going to change. Not so much about what has transpired in the first six years, but about what is going down in the next couple. But wait a minute, JMV. If he doesn't have a good year this year, there's no way that Jim Irsay is going to keep him around. Well, you guys are wrong about that. He got this coming year. He's going to have the year after that, unless everything absolutely falls in. That guy, he's not going anywhere. And here's what's going to happen. You'll get through this year, and then with your new quarterback, the quarterback will show enough in year number two. And again, unless it's a disaster. I mentioned this yesterday, unless it's something like Zach Wilson in year number one, where you go, this guy can't do anything. This guy can't do anything. He can't lead anybody. That's the only way. And otherwise, when you think about it, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get your number one to feel it out again. Your number two, you're going to show signs, and thus no changes will be made. You're going to get three years here. Wouldn't everybody agree? I know commonly you want to say two. I just don't think that they won't show enough. You also have to keep in mind that they do have some good players around to where you wouldn't expect them to be a four-win, one-tie team. But again, that's the type of stuff that has to happen, I think, for there to be a change over three years. And again, I'm not advocating this. I'm just telling you this is how it's going to go. 
well, the owner has to be sick and tired of this and has to be impatient. No, the owner made the choice to continue to go in this direction. And it's not like a draft this quarterback, put him in there, and then win the division for the first time since 2014. The owner, with this decision, the owner is forced to have patience, is forced to step off of, hey, multiple Lombardis, division titles, all this bravado speak. He's forced to come off that and to let this guy do it his way with, I don't know how else you put it, certainly not a complete reboot, but somewhat of a reboot. So that is not going away anytime soon. In my estimation, hey, JMV at 107.5thefan.com. I look at Russell Wilson as a reasonable comp for Young. If true, would you trade up to one for someone to have a similar career as Wilson? I would, Wes, trade up to one if I felt compelled and convicted enough that this is the guy. You have been so long without a guy. If you feel that to be necessary, no matter what anybody's saying, well, you can get the value at four as you can get at one. If you feel this guy is different, that's what I've said. You go out and you get that guy that is different. If you do think that these guys are on a similar level and you're going to be satisfied with staying at four, which I believe is going to happen, that's what you do. And we'll see how this plays out. But one of the selling points of this is that you have a head coach now that has worked different quarterbacks in different systems. From, you know, the older guy like Phillip Rivers to, you know, the strong arm pocket passing presence of Justin Herbert to what you saw moving all over the place this past year in Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, you can look around at some of these guys, and I'm not suggesting any of these guys are like Jalen Hurts. But it's a guy that has been well-versed in dealing with different types of quarterbacks, and that's a lot of the trust that they have put into this. But ultimately, it's going to come down to who they believe is going to be better. Hey, JMV, this isn't a can't-miss Peyton Manning type of draft. Giving away the farm to the Bears isn't worth it. I would not at all expect Chris Ballard to do anything like that. That is very true. JMV, I think it has to be Stroud. He's ready-made, probably the most accurate quarterback coming out of the most NFL-ready. I would not disagree with that. That is the guy that I would get. But will the Colts be sold on he's that much different than anybody else, Nick? You might be sold on it. I might be sold on it, but we're not the ones making the picks. And if he believes somebody's in the ballpark that he doesn't have to trade up or give away those assets to get, he probably would be more comfortable, he being Chris Ballard, in doing that than he would doing something that would be very very much so unballard-like. So that part's true. Yeah, I know. I saw Scott Foster's act last night. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. 
Scotty Barnes got that one technical toss. He said after the game, Scotty Barnes, and by the way, Toronto was playing in Denver. It was a one-possession game down the stretch. And uh, everybody came to see Scott Foster make a call that basically was a game changer at the end, and that's exactly what Scott Foster did. Made a foul call against Toronto that was going to send Aaron Gordon to the free throw line and then (laughs) teed up and tossed Scotty Barnes because Scott Foster said he questioned the integrity of the officials. Scotty Barnes said after the game that he said, hey, I I said to myself, don't be cheating us. (laughs) I don't question the officials' integrity. I question Scott Foster being a jackass. That's what I question. He is constantly involved in stupid crap like this. What other conclusion can I draw? And I love making fun of these guys. What other conclusion can I draw? I'm not one that suggests that there's points being shaved and all this stuff. I am one that will question a guy that in those situations loses it. Yeah, Scott Foster lost it last night. And we have seen that happen a lot with him. And you know the guys I'm talking about here, whether it's Scott Foster or Tony Brothers, these guys all overreact to stuff. And I know, I know they get sick and tired of hearing it, but that's their job. They get paid handsomely and travel around the country and officiate basketball games. You know what you're getting into. It's not like, well, wait a minute. I got to, I didn't know that Luca was going to complain the entire game. No, it's not questioning the integrity of the officiating it's questioning (laughs) it's questioning you why are you always the centerpiece of some of this nba officiating jackassery he's always at the top of the list Uh, by the way last night tony east is going to join us so will ferrell was there 50 cent was there will ferrell looked like he had a good time will ferrell by the way looked like that he had a decent jumper Tony East was there covering that. We'll get back to the Sixers Pacers from last night. Pacers Rockets coming up later on this week and more. Tony East of SI and Locked On Pacers and Chris Hagan in the 5 o'clock hour still to come. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. JMV, how come you have not mentioned National Cereal Day? Hey, listen. I'm not the biggest cereal person in the world, but I will tell you this. If it is incapable of leaving chocolate milk in the bowl when the cereal is gone, I don't want to eat it. Meaning it has to be... There's got to be something chocolatey, like uh, Cocoa Pebbles, something like that. It's got to leave chocolate milk in the bowl when you're done with the cereal. Big Ten Player of the Year, Zach Eady, no surprise there. Unanimously on that first team would include both Trace Jackson, Davis, and Zach Eady of Purdue. Chris Collins of Northwestern is your coach of the year. A lot of this is absolutely unsurprising. Trey Galloway a little bit earlier on the show. 
Greg Rakestraw, also a little bit earlier on the show, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. YouTube Livers are wanting to know how they can get involved in winning KISS tickets. Gamebridge Fieldhouse, November the 25th. I don't know. Um, you'll have to call, I guess, with everybody else. Should I give the YouTube Live people a chance at KISS tickets? I'm looking right here. You guys want that chance in there? Scotty would probably dig on those KISS tickets, I'm sure. Should be the final time for KISS. That's what they say. <laughs> Until they want to make some more money, and they do it again. Great show, though. And I've never seen KISS, which is ridiculous. A huge hole in my concert resume needs to be filled coming up on November the 25th. I'm going to give you a chance. If you have not seen them or you have to check them out November the 25th at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Your chance to win is when you hear a KISS re-entry coming up a little bit later on. Chris Hagen included in the mix in the 5 o'clock hour, but on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Tony East, Locked On Pacers. Tony East, SI, covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Had a nice surprise last night. So, Will Farrell was there because he is in town or was in town taping a documentary. Uh, he was doing so over at the Beach Grove Walmart, I think, the night before. He made the game last night. I thought it was spectacular from what you saw. And 50 Cent was there. Was he propping up some kind of liquor? He was. His his, uh, his liquor company, Sire Spirits, I think, partnered with a ton of NBA teams. When I was in Sacramento earlier this season, he was there too. Regular who's who of Indy last night, JMB. It was a who's who of Indy. I like that. I like that when the who's who gets out there. Reggie Wayne was there. I think Michael Pittman Jr. was also at the game. So, yeah, big one. It would have been nice had the Pacers brought that thing home and maybe even nicer. I mentioned this regarding the matchup with Joel Embiid uh, for Miles. Uh, it was a mess last night. And those first two fouls, you could tell once he got those and went to the bench that this was in his head once again. I, I have just given the simple philosophy here Tony of with Miles just chill. MB does that to nearly everybody and he's probably going to do that to you. Try to get him back on the offensive end. Try to get him to feel uncomfortable. Shoot that three. Knock it down. But man all this piled up in Miles' head last night and it was a mess. Yeah, something about that matchup has been, I mean, it's killer for everybody, right? Embiid's averaging whatever it is now, 33 and 15 or something gross but he does it to everybody but for his whole career it's been Turner's biggest demon right he cannot for the life of him have a quality outing against that guy and some of it is the way Embiid plays with you know the physical play the drawing contact all sorts of impressive things certainly but you know, some of it I think is mental for Turner right he, he didn't do some of the other stuff he's done well all season last night even when he was in the game when Embiid wasn't it right and, and it gets to him it really impacts the way he plays and then it forces Carlisle to go you know every big basically played for them last night even not including Turner and for all the things Isaiah Jackson is good at he is also a terrible matchup for a guy like Joel Embiid so uh, certainly a tough outing for Turner and a a team he's just got some demons against right we've seen it his whole career and uh, I I don't know what it will take for him to get over that hump but I think the Pacers hope it happens at some point he um he's gotten over every other hump I will say that he's gotten over every other hump and he's proven organizationally to be worthy of an extension. Uh, he has proven how well he plays with his team and his new teammates. And this is a part 
of the process at some point. But I will also argue that the only thing that is going to really put up much of a physical fight against Joel Embiid is his weight versus his feet. That's going to be about it. <laughs> That's why he goes to the ground so much on some of those plays, right? But, yeah, it's like you you think it takes a big guy to contain Embiid, but he's also, like, sneakily nimble and that's what Halberton was saying last night. Like, how do you guard that guy when he's hitting fadeaway 12-footers? Like, what, what what is even possible to do? So, you know, I, I don't know what it will – every NBA team is trying to figure it out, Pacers included. But it, I think the last three times Embiid has played in Gamebridge, he scored 40 or more. I, I don't know if that's exactly what it is. Three of his last four or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he, he just has killed this franchise for, for years and years. And I always think back to when Dan Burke was an assistant with the Pacers and he said that – and he thinks Embiid gets away with a lot of crap. And now Dan Burke's on the 76ers yeah. sidelines coaching him. So I always think of that full circle moment. It's pretty funny when they're in town. He does, though. He does. And there's nothing more entertaining than watching Joel Embiid shoot 20 free throws, right? <laughs> NBA action is fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I understand fans completely hating the way the Sixers play. Uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such a grinded-out kind of game. And the, the other reason it's so tricky is, like, he made them all. He went 19 for yeah. 19, right? It's, yeah. it's not even like a viable strategy like it is with some of these other big men. It's just a very frustratingly talented player to play against. Yeah, it is last night. And uh, I, I, Halliburton was fantastic once again. I, I want to double back, though, if you wouldn't mind, to that Chicago game the day prior. I don't know what you thought about this, and and nobody made too much about of it, so it's over now, and I understand. But I, what Patrick Beverly did – uh, coming down the the possession before the winning possession with Halliburton knocking down that three in his grill, he purposely put his foot there in his landing area. Did anybody oh, ever ask that? That was purposely done to injure him. And the Pacers are incredibly fortunate that that didn't happen. Was anything ever made out of that? I actually couldn't see that landing particularly well from where our seats were, so I wasn't aware that it was that egregious in the moment. Uh but, you know, there, I think all the questions were more about just whatever little internet beef they have going on because, you know, when Beverly was here with the Lakers at the beginning of February, he said he called Halliburton a first-year player and said that he took disrespect from Halliburton saying something about him. I can't remember exactly what he said. So, you know, Halliburton chimed back on Twitter after that Bulls game. He hit the game winner right over him. I don't know about all that part of it. I think someone asked Tyrese about uh, whatever their relationship is in the locker room after the game. But – uh, I didn't realize that, that that foul was so egregious in the moment. And he was certainly in pain, right? He limped yeah. off, I thought, for a second. It was a little worse. He got tended to on the bench. He certainly responded well if it was he did. a personal attack or an unreasonable foul. I, 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 I think what J.J. called in the question to Halliburton after the game was an aggressive closeout. I, I thought that it was just purposely done. He put his yeah. foot in the landing area purposely of Halliburton. And I think probably the reason why more wasn't made is because Halliburton was okay, and then because Halliburton went out there and stuck one in his grill for the win. <laughs> 30 feet out right yeah. in his face. It worked out so perfectly, too, for, like, you know, the highlight era of the NBA that we're in that as Halliburton is celebrating and walking up the floor, Beverly walks right between him and the camera. So it's just a perfect shot of the moment. I, yeah, I'd have to look back at the actual landing on that foul, though. I mean, certainly when you land on a guy, usually you, you think about – uh, the Zaza Pachulia, Kawhi Leonard flat out from the Western Conference Finals a few years ago. And that one kind of started the landing space rule changes. And that one was funky because 
Zaza Pachulia is so big, he couldn't really control himself running out to that guy. But certainly with a guard, you'd think he'd have a little more control. So I'd have to look at it again. Uh, Tony East uh, covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What are we to uh, get out of? What do they have? 17, 18 games remaining? Where are we right now? Uh, Yeah, 17, I think, is the number, yeah. What uh, what are we to gather out of what remains? I, I constantly have to debate against, oh, you don't want them to make the play-in. You don't want them to do that. I just want them to play. And I want them to go out there and give themselves a chance to win. Like against Chicago, I love the fact that they closed on the road. That's a part of the growth process. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see that more, maybe a little bit more closely done against a good team last night. They weren't unable to do that against Philadelphia. But what are we to gather out of the remaining 17 or so games? left here yeah you hear a lot of chatter with a team in the pacer situation about you know focusing on development and giving young guys minutes and all that kind of stuff and i hear the importance of that certainly the pacers are, are already kind of doing that right like daniel tice is is no longer playing and now the backup bigs are smith and jackson again and it just so happens their best couple players who you know are constantly leading them to wins that have them ahead of expectations are you know 26 21 23 years old like you'd play them anyway, regardless of what your goals are in your last 17 games. If you're trying to win, you'd play them. And if you're trying to develop, you play them. So it almost just seems like you kind of just said it, you know, you let the cards fall where they may and just kind of play out the season, see what it is. And I think the voice the team has, has made clear is they do want that play in playoff, whatever kind of experience, right? They have so many guys on this team in the rotation, newly acquired, whoever that, have never played in, a- in any meaningful game, not even a play-in game for that extent. Halliburton, Duarte, uh, every- everybody they drafted this year and last year, really, which is a bunch of their rotation. Buddy Heald never has, right? So it-, it provided a ton of value in that way, especially for a team clearly on the ascent in year one of a bill that I also understand that a high draft pick would go a long way for this franchise, right? And so, it- you know, th- there's kind of it's kind of a win-win where, you know, you're kind of doing both at once. Kevin Pritchard said it at the trade deadline that, they can develop and win at the same time. And I think that's what they're going to try to do, which is keep their young guys out there, get them reps together, growing and improving the team while also just kind of letting the cards fall where they may, which this season has been, you know, 11th, 12th best team in the East. All right, Tony, teaching moments for Benedict Matherin, certainly he's back to getting those minutes again. So I'm assuming the point uh, has gotten across to him as the end of his rookie season is on the horizon here. I'm also curious about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I watch them consistently, and it does seem like when he's in there, there is less back-and-forth chatter he's having with the officials than maybe he did a month or a month and a half ago. Have you noticed that too? Uh, that is something that he did a little too much, I would say, early in the season. That yeah, he's gotten he's gotten better about it, among many things that you know he's had to improve and just focusing on the game, right? A young player focusing on getting better and all sorts of things that you know Carlisle and the staff are having him work on. I think that had had to be among them, right? I think the funniest one in retrospect was when. I forget who they played when he hit the layup and he was actually celebrating and thought he got fouled and then the play was still happening, right? Like, you know, you got to get up and be ready for ones like that. I wish I could remember who that was against. They ended up winning that game, so it, it wasn't an issue. But, uh, you know, th- that kind of stuff. Was, was, that the Cel- was that the Celtics game that they lost? Maybe it wasn't. Was it? Maybe it was. Yeah. I, I was thinking maybe the Bulls game right before the all Might, might be, that. yeah. Might be that. I, either way, it was a huge play and – you know, it's just kind of who he is where he's learning all that sort of little stuff, right? And I think that, you know, the, the, the talk of his minutes and playing time, I think you know, the, the San Antonio game, he only played 15 minutes or something like that. There was a heat game last month. He was around 13. And, 
people ask a lot of questions about those games, and I understand why completely, right? He plays 28 minutes a game. You're trying to develop him. He's good now. Why is he only playing that little? And Carlisle has always stressed accountability, right? If you're working on something with a guy and he, I, he doesn't do it in a game or isn't, you know, helping the team win, and you're not, you're not building the habits they want to build if you just let guys keep running out there and, and making mistakes of the things you're working on, right? That's kind of the point that they have made. So, you know, it's only been two games. He's still playing a ton every game. I, I understand the frustration for fans, but I also totally understand why the Pacers do it the way they do, and, and I think Matherin is taking, taking those messages and make, making himself a better player with it. How is the evolution of Wara going here in the last week or so? <laughs> it is such a change for him going from the Bucks, who play so slow and play through – you know, their star creators where his job was, you know, kind of relocate on the perimeter and find your space for threes, right, to the Pacers, which is, you know, you're, you, the second you have the ball, you're sprinting for, you know, 15 seconds, and he's dribbling inside the arc, and is tasked with more rebounding now because he's playing the four instead of the three. Like, everything about his change was pretty dramatic stylistically, right? And at first, I think uh, he said that, I think, every time he did any media availability was just – it's way faster, you know, all this kind of thing he has to adjust to. And then I think after the break when he got a few practices under his belt with this team, he's been really good, right? He was fantastic in Orlando in a win last week, really good in Dallas, was good uh, starting the last two games with Aaron D. Smith out. And so I think he's kind of adjusted to the system and shown where he can help this team, right? A perimeter threat at the four, something that this team has kind of wanted for a while. And he's been doing a much better job fitting in, knowing where he needs to go because Halliburton could get you the ball at any time. And putting the ball on the floor after shot fakes. And I think the thing that, that I've talked about the most when I talked about him or what's impressed me the most is the rebounding, right, for a team that has been just horrible on the glass all season, probably their biggest kryptonite all year. He's been a guy that you know has found a nose for the ball in the paint, whether that's his own miss, his teammates' miss, an opponent miss. He's been good at, at scooping those up. It's almost like a poacher in soccer to an extent where he can just find space to get the ball on the glass. And for a Pacers team that plays a little small, they need someone like that. So that's where I think he's been the most impressive and – kind of stood out and found a way to, to find his niche on this team because once he got the speed down, his offense has been there, but the rebounding has been, I think, a pleasant surprise. It's uh, Tony East there of Locked On Pacers, Tony East of SI, and Tony East that got to hang out with Will Ferrell last night. He looked like he was having a good time. He was shooting before the game, and you know I know he did semi-pro and probably had to work on some basketball stuff for the movie, but his form's actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like, honestly, he looks like he looks like a, a dude that's pretty cool. He looks like a cool guy for the type of star status that he maintains. It, it takes a lot to be, like, relatable, right, when you're a celebrity of that status at a game. But he put on these two pins that, like, have a pacer, have Boomer, the Pacers mascot on them, and it says, my first game in big capital letters, which I thought was pretty funny that he was <laughs> leaning into that, just trying to be your typical fan who also happens to be Will Ferrell, right? So he, he was pretty funny. I think the video uh, the Pacers put up on social media where he was try, trying to get someone to drink his beer in the locker room before the game was quite funny as well. Was um, Is this going to be – is this game or that last night going to be a part of this documentary or was that just him <laughs> going? I The docu crew was uh, there. There was a lot of camera crews in the house. So I, I don't know how much of it is going to be footage they actually use. I, I guess I don't even really know the subject matter besides – that he's just you know traveling around the country, but uh, I assume some of it would be there, just given what, what the project seems like it is. But again, I don't I don't have enough details to know. But 
You know, my friends were joking when I told them that he was there. They said, did you walk by the cameras all night? Are you going to be in it? I said, no, I don't I don't think I made the cut. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, though. I don't, maybe it's going to end up being some kind of Borat thing. <laughs> I, I'm not, I really don't know what the, yeah. the subject matter is, but he, he's going everywhere. So yep. I, I'm sure it'll be, in Will Ferrell fashion, a pretty funny project. Tony, I appreciate you as always, man. We'll do it again soon. You got it. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Tony East covers the Pacers. Locked on Pacers. SI.com. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Kiss tickets not too far away. Chris Hagen also in the crosshairs a little bit later on. 5 o'clock hour right here. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up. And experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. I got nowhere else to go! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James over there, my name is John. Thank you for joining us. Mitch writes this. Well, Farrell came through Crawfordsville today to film. He was rocking a Pacers hat and a Pacers Grateful Dead shirt. Shout out to Will Farrell in Montgomery County with Mitch today. Sean Patrick Turley, that's SPT, says, I'm pretty sure it's a documentary about he and his friend who recently transitioned into a female uh, taking a road trip. He tried to mention it during his fourth quarter pep talk. Thank you, SPT. I was unaware. That's great. Hagen's going to join us coming up in just a little bit, by the way, too. He just looks like, he looks like when you go watch him in a film, he's an incredibly fun dude. And I know people say, well, he plays the same role every good because it makes me laugh. That role makes me laugh. And I'm glad that he plays that role. Hey, JMV, you're talking about Will Ferrell last night here in Indy and today in Crawfordsville. What's your favorite Will Ferrell film? Good call right there, but I think I would have to go with Step Brothers at the top of the list. Lick that white dog turd. <laughs> Brennan. Oh, what are you singing? Just give him something to talk about. No, oh, it's good. Yeah, John C. Riley, by the way. John, anything Will Farrell and John C. Riley is bound to be pretty good. That is pretty strong. Is that Big Glenn the winner right there? Let me see here. Glenn, did you win those tickets? You know that's right, JMV. Is this Big Glenn? Hell yeah! It Big is. Glenn's going to see yes. Kiss. Big Glenn, have you ever seen Kiss before? I've not. I'm taking my mom, so we won't have a good time. That is absolutely outstanding. Big Glenn, way to go, buddy! Thank you, man. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna get this uh, this week. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, my friend, congratulations. I'm gonna put you back on hold. Thank you. Look at Big Glenn in there winning those tickets. Well done. I have never seen Kiss before. 
Hey, JMV, I heard you talking about 40 years ago today the Bob and Tom show started. Was that the Q Zoo? Indeed, it was. It started out on Q95 as the Q Zoo. Just incredible stuff. Incredible. With Bob and Tom, with Christy, with Chick. You go back then, there is a a Rolling Stone cover where Q was the radio station of the year. Dog is on there, too. Yeah, just so great. Just so great. But 40 years, I spent, how many years was I over there? Probably nine, I think. I was over there for nine years, and uh, it's incredible stuff. 40 years. And I I remember going back then when people would come. This is I was 13 years old, and, hey, did you listen to that show? What show are you talking about? Yeah, the Kuzu. So I remember people talking about it in the early stages, but 40-year anniversary. That is fantastic. Uh, JMV, I heard you talking yesterday. Do you think that there should have been co-Big Ten players of the year between Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis? I think you could make the argument, but there's not much really to say regarding Zach Eady getting it. You could certainly make an argument. I just I want to see IU Purdue on a Sunday. I think we all deserve that. Don't we all deserve it? I think for putting up with what we put up with, I think we all deserve that. Now, it probably won't work out that way, given certainly the success we have seen in the Big Ten Conference tournaments of the past for IU. But, man, their path, you could not, if you're an IU fan, you could not ask for a better path than that. That is incredible, their opportunity. So maybe we might end up getting that coming up on Sunday. That would make it a spectacular Sunday. Speaking of IU, Trey Galloway a little bit earlier. If you missed that conversation about this season with IU, about Trace Jackson Davis, his teammate, about Culver, Don Fisher on the show many times telling me that he walks by and tells him to shoot the basketball. The evolution of this team since December. Trey Galloway was really good. That podcast, 1075thefan.com. Tony East, just a little bit earlier, too. Tony, of course, joined us from both SI.com and Locked On Pacers. Pacers a loser last night. And Greg Rakestraw, a variety of things, including college basketball and the regionals coming up for the fellas this weekend, which should be absolutely spectacular. All right. Coming up on the other side, too, Chris Hagan's going to join us. Wall-to-wall ball coverage at Fox 59. Friend of this show, Chris Hagan, going to join us coming up on the other side. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live and 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Back after this. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Get him a body bag! Yeah! 
93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline as we welcome you back in here. Of course, busy day of talking Colts future quarterbacks, Pacers, Sixers last night. College basketball forthcoming with that Big Ten Conference Tournament, then the NCAA Selection Sunday, followed by the NCAA Tournament. That and more we'll discuss right now from Fox 59. Here's the longtime sports director there. It is our good friend Chris Hagan. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hey, John. You know, in addition to being my birthday month, March is the best when you think about sports. I mean, obviously, no really off-season or downtime for the NFL. They've got it lined up. You know, they go Super Bowl, Combine, Draft, and on down the line. They even have, you know, the big primetime show to announce the schedule. So, no downtime there. But then you factor in the high school uh, basketball ramping up with sectionals and moving on. Then you've got college basketball. You know about the Pacers. They're playing well. Maybe not – uh, winning the games but still being entertaining as it was the case last night with the Sixers. And, of course, spring training, uh, getting that baseball right around the corner. So, yeah, this is a, a great time to be alive and be a sports fan. Yeah, no doubt about that, too. And I'm, I'm glad you're not uh, yeah, bringing it up again. I've been talking about the Embiid versus Miles from last night. And yeah, when I'm, I'm thinking about it with from a standpoint of Miles, uh, you can tell um, how this and that matchup is in his head. There's no doubt about that. I, I just wish the next time they play, I want to see him kind of chill a little bit and maybe let the game come a little bit more to him, not so much try to just do some uncharacteristic things. I thought, especially after those first two fouls last night, 33 was all out of whack, Chris. Yeah, and I don't want to misquote Quinn Buckner on the broadcast last night, but at one point he said, he said Miles is sensitive. sensitive. He said something, yeah, yeah, he said something that, that really caught my attention that was surprising that he would say it on the air like that. But yeah, Miles been playing some of his basketball, best basketball of his career, and I know a lot of people were excited about what that matchup last night was going to be, uh, and it didn't, you know, one, one end of the bargain wasn't uh, kept. I would just say this, and I have all day, this is something that, that Embiid does to everybody, all right? He does it to everybody, and, you know, I, I hear all the time, well, if Miles really wants to be, you know, a great defensive player, oh, okay, whatever. If Miles wants to be, he's not a great defensive player. If he gets chewed up by Joel Embiid, then there are not a lot of great defensive players out there as big guys that guard him because he chews absolutely everybody up. I can't stand the dude, don't get me wrong, but he is an absolute force in the NBA, and I just I wish Miles would take the approach. And I, I heard what Quinn said last night. You know, he kind of alluded to a, a sensitivity there. I just think that it's something that Miles absolutely knows that Embiid has had ownership over that matchup, and he's had so much go right, and I mean consistently right for consistency-wise, Chris, the first time here. And he gets extended, and he really wants to go out there and play well. And from the opening tip, it didn't for him. And it, it that, to me, owns him. Just that thought of having to deal with it and knowing that Embiid's going crazy on the other side kind of owns him as much as Embiid has in these matchups. And I know it's easy for me to say, but just, just kind of chill out play you know take some outside shots try to force him out bring him out a little bit and you not get so carried away thinking about how many points he has or that matchup in which you're taking a beating on and see if that changes things a little bit i just thought he was a little bit too wound up a couple of different times last night yeah and we've seen this at all levels of sports is so much of it can be psychological 
Uh, look at early uh, in Peyton Manning's career when he, you know, he well, he just can't beat the Patriots. He can't beat the Patriots. Uh, you know, and that doesn't mean Peyton Manning wasn't playing great bas- uh, great football in, during those seasons when he first had the struggles. And then, you know, it, it's just something that can happen. Uh, something gets, you know, in your head. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on with Miles. You, you know, you have everybody there. You have, I mean, Will Ferrell and 50 center in the house, John. You want to perform <laughs> well. You want to do your best. Uh, so, yeah, it was just one of those things. And once it didn't start well, you, we saw how it went from there, kind of snowballed and, and just turned into a very forgettable night. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Chris Higgins via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So it was 11 years on this date, and you and I were there, and it is still incredibly surreal to me to have been there. And, and as equal to surreal as it was to see, because I was a part of the whole Bob Knight thing, as you were too when he was fired, but watching 11 years ago Peyton Manning be released by the Colts and going to that press conference still takes a little bit of a bite out of me. You know what's also strange about that is, um, I don't know if Manning planned it this way, but it was seven years ago today that Peyton was saying goodbye to the uh, Broncos. So something something about March 7th. But it, it is, when you, when you, and Peyton had always said, you know, his dad, Archie, had bounced around to a bunch of different teams at the end of his career, and it meant a lot. He wanted to be one one team, one franchise, and that's just not how it played out. And I think it worked out in the short term. It worked out the way he wanted because Peyton went on to two more Super Bowls, won an MVP, won another Super Bowl, and the Colts got Andrew Luck. But you just wonder what would have been. I mean, I think we saw how, how Luck had to run for his life and paid for it later in life. Uh, for that team, uh, if if you had they, they broke the whole thing up that year, they got you know a lot of goodbyes to you know faces of the franchise. So the world may never know and will never know what that would have been like keeping Peyton or if they tried to trade that pick and you know build back or whatever. But uh, however it went, I think Peyton it went well for him, and uh, you know it, it's still though weird to be saying, hey uh, Peyton's piecing out of here. We'll see you later. He was. It was odd to see it. Here's the other thing, too. Looking back on it 11 years ago, and then now knowing what has transpired with the Colts over those 11 years, what would you have done? Would you have done it all over again? You think Jim Irsay would have done that all over again? Kind of uh, bitten the bullet, so to speak, right there, kept Manning on board, bypassed luck. You think that would have been the play now, looking at it, as we do 11 years ago? Well, it wasn't like, you know, that you – you know, you had the Manning or Ryan Leaf, and the Colts made the right pick. It wasn't like the Colts made the wrong pick with Luck. Instead of like, I know some people were all about RG3. But, I mean, you got the right guy. It just didn't work out. He got beat up, and he, he retired. Maybe he doesn't retire. He told me when I talked to him in, in Vegas a couple of months ago, uh, Luck told me he fully expected to play until his 40s, like these guys like, like Brady had done. Um, so what could you have gotten back then if, you, if everybody's saying this is the greatest – quarterback prospect, you know, in, in decades, you would have looked completely stupid if you <laughs> traded that pick and then luck goes on to a 15 year hall of fame career somewhere else. I mean, the benefit of hindsight, you're like, Oh, okay. This yeah. is going to go. Let's, let's get a million, let's get a Herschel Walker type deal and trade this number one pick. Uh, you, I mean, imagine if you put that on the block, what the, the, the market for that pick would have skyrocketed and maybe you get, you know, three or four more years out of Peyton, which is what he had in him. But you, you didn't know how healthy Peyton was going to be. You had this can't-miss quarterback prospect. I mean, even if you went back to it now, if, if Jim Ursay had a time machine, 
I think you still go ahead and draft Andrew Luck and hope things play out differently. I say this. I, I think, and, and mind you, you go to a different organization and you know maybe they offer up better protection, whatever. The problem with the better protection is one thing, but I still think that Andrew Luck was going to be every bit as reckless as he was as a football player because that's really what he knew up until he got tired of dealing with the repercussions of being reckless, Chris, with the football on the football field. Yeah, I remember one time he executed a uh, quarterback slide and the crowd at Lucas Oil like erupted in cheers <laughs> as if he had thrown a 90-yard touchdown. They're like, yes, he's got it. But it, you can't you can't turn off that that switch. You know that you can't flip that switch when that's how you played your whole life. That's how you've attacked everything your whole life, not just football. You know that's the kind of guy Andrew was. He was uh, he was all out all the time, and you know he paid the price for it. And you, you think about that magical run they had with Bruce Arians as interim head coach. And uh, I talked to Arians on media on Radio Road Super Bowl, and he said that was an awful team. That was an awful football team <laughs> in 2012, and yet they won 11 games and went to the playoffs. And and the the franchise, the fans enjoyed those miraculous wins, but. You know, Luck's body paid the price for that. And, you know, that, that things he did in that season helped limit his career moving down the line. So, you know, like the old uh, Quaker State commercial, you can pay me now or pay me later. And that, that's what happened with Andrew Luck and the Colts. Yeah. I, I don't know. I bet a lot of people, if they had a do-over, knowing what everybody knows right now, that they would stick with Manning. And obviously that's knowing the future and hindsight being 2020 in this case. But I bet a lot of people around here knowing what they know, and this also is because of the way that things with Luck ended here, how he went out here. Uh, but I bet most people around here would say, yeah, you know what, I wish now they just would have stuck with Manning and uh, and maybe saw that out till till the absolute end. Well, what would, you have, what would uh, Ryan Grigson have done with – six picks that he got for that Andrew Luck trade. Would you be happy with you know that? I mean, he did have, but Peyton, if all things being the same, yeah. uh, Peyton would have had a T.Y. Hilton and a Reggie Wayne to throw the ball to. He would have had uh, the, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener. I mean, they went out and got a bunch of a bunch of weapons in that draft. And even before he got hurt, Vic Ballard led the team in rushing and had some memorable plays for the Colts. So they, they were offense heavy in that draft and some players that you know, quite frankly, you didn't get as much out of them as you expected to when when you go out there and make all those picks. Yeah, the owner made the pick for luck, made that decision. And I think Bruce Arians had more in on T.Y. Helton than anybody at the time. I think people would tell you that within the organization. But they found some things in that particular draft. But, again, you look back on it, hindsight is going to be 2020 there. It's just kind of interesting. This date in history around here is is meaningful to me because being at that press conference, you just thought, what in the hell is going on here? You really did. And then you got the, the tearful Peyton Manning, the, the quote, I love being your quarterback. And, you know, they get Everybody got a little choked up, like, you know, even Peyton, who always has a brave face on, that, that yeah. hit him realizing that moment where, like, hey, that, this is it. I'm, I'm never going to be in the Colt uniform again. Yeah, he probably walked walked out and got in the back room and said, and I'm going to F all you guys up here in a couple of years, too. <laughs> it is funny because remember – Great he decision. That. He left that, and then he flew away, and, like, there were helicopters flying in. He, he had to pull over his car just to talk to him. So he, he knew, like – 
they got a helicopter. They're going to be able to. We're not going to be able to lose these people. And he's going. I think he was in Miami. He was going down there to talk to them. And you know, it was just the the crazy. Uh, you know, where will Peyton end up? And then as it worked out, he goes to Denver and I was already going to Andrew Luck's pro day. So then it was two days before that they changed my flight. I fly to Denver and I'm at the press conference where he's introduced as a Bronco. And then uh, two days later, I'm watching the, the, the next franchise quarterback for the Colts. I'm watching him uh, dazzle on his pro day in, at Stanford. It's uh, Chris Hagan of Fox 59, the sports director. I know you guys are going to be out and about for the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Of course, Selection Sunday and then the NCAA Tournament. Now, are you go- who are you going to be following? Do you know yet as far as the tournament's concerned? Well, I, t- I can tell you this. Seeing as how my, uh, my mom and my brothers live in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm keeping a keen eye on that uh, first-round site. So if somebody goes to Birmingham, you can, you can bet your bottom dollar I will be going on that trip. I think it's pretty safe to say that Purdue will be headed to uh, Columbus, and maybe IU ends up in uh, Birmingham. But other than that, we'll have uh, we'll follow, we'll be up in uh, Chicago for the tournament, and it's it's interesting that we get the the double buy for both teams, so that saves the that saves the company some money, John. What one last night in the hotel? <laughs> but the way it shakes out, we were talking about this yesterday. It looks like per- Purdue and IU should be favored to make it to Sunday and, and square off. For a third time, that'd be great. Can you imagine the? Can you imagine the reaction from both fan bases if somehow they play a third time and IU sweeps a, a three-game set with uh, the Boilers, who have spent a couple times at, at number one in the nation? And I think it would be good mentally if, if Purdue got to play that game and 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 beat IU. So it'd be great storylines either way. Whoever won that game, but of course they got to win a couple of games to get there. But I think it's. It's interesting the way it shakes out where they're on opposite sides of the bracket. They both get the double bye, so they'll have fewer games to play and a great chance to see them get together on Sunday and then see how the chips fall. I, I think IU could maybe creep their way up to the three line if they were to win, win a couple games there and win the, uh, the championship. So it would be interesting. Purdue falls could fall to a two. IU plays yep. their way to a three. And then you could hope and expect perhaps uh, deep runs by both of them in the big dance. Uh, you could craft the bed, though, and probably fall to a five if they're not careful on Friday night in that late game. Just maybe. Yeah. Hopefully not. But I will tell you this. If IU and Purdue make it to that championship Sunday in, in that matchup, I might be swinging from my own sports arousal on Sunday. That'd be awesome, Chris. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's, what's, what's fun about sports and also frustrating about sports is you know it's not going to happen because, like, when you when you look at this and you you plan ahead, and go, wow, this is going to be great. We'll have this on Sunday. That's when somehow Maryland yeah. hits a, a buzzer beater to beat IU in that late game, or somehow Purdue blows a twenty point lead to to Michigan or Rutgers. That that's what happens when you look forward to something. But that I is think, so right. I, think, I, I, yeah. I did the same thing with Indiana State. Hey, I can't wait. I got to get home on Saturday. The Sycamores and Bradley. And you know, it was a close game. They barely lost, but that's, I think, the point. They lost. You, it, yeah, when you look forward to something like that, it actually happens. It seems like rarely does it ever live up to it, and most of the time it kind of bites you in your ass. And that, that's why nobody ever wins gambling, you know, because you, you think, well, surely this will happen and this will happen, and then you have, you have crazy things that come to pass. But I, I think it does on paper, and nothing ever gets played on paper, I think it looks good for both of them. As long as they get through Friday, I think they'll be good, both winning on Saturday and getting to Sunday. But uh, it is these two teams, IU and Purdue, they've shown stretches where you're like, man, these are these are two of the you know these 
top five, top ten teams when things are going well. And then you see some moments where you're like, oh, no, this this is bad news. Because <laughs> you've, you've seen some bad losses, not necessarily against the teams they've been playing, but just some bad basketball from each of these squads over the last couple of weeks. And, and you've seen some great basketball. I I think if this tournament's played a month ago, I think Purdue is, like, in great shape. But I, I think, you know, lately they've had some struggles. I hope they the, the young guards can get their mojo back. Uh, obviously, Edie's going to be Edie. But uh, I, I think, you know, when, you, when your team spends time at number one in the nation a couple of times, if you don't get – to the Sweet 16 and beyond, you start thinking that's that's a disappointing season, and that's what where the borders are right now. Chris Hagan with us. Final thing: Does Chris Ballard trade up, trade back, or stay put? Well, he seemed to be talking as if he thinks the guy they want will be there at four, which makes you wonder. Well, if you're so sure he's going to be there at four, is this the guy that everybody else thinks is going to be the guy? <laughs> I know so, his name. His name is Will Levis. That's who it is. Yeah, I was listening to uh, – I, I, some guy gave me grief when I was on the on the radio with you last week when I was talking out on I don't believe Levis is the guy. Yeah. And he pointed out, well, you know, he lost his offensive coordinator and he was banged up, and that's true. He he was much better the year before than he was. Well, he'll fit felt, he'll felt right in here then, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> if uh, it's – just because you have all the, the raw talent doesn't mean you're the guy to, to do it, you know? Yeah. Look at all the raw talent that um, – that Ryan Leaf had just pure talent, you know, got the big arm, got the size, looks the part, but not everybody who looks the part fits the part. So, I mean, uh, as you know, when the Colts do well, it's good for business for me and you. So if, if they get Levis, I hope he's a 15 year pro and he's the new Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes combined and everybody's happy. But I, I don't think, and you can, you can mark it on the tape, so when, when Levis is going into the Hall of Fame 20 years from now, I don't think he's that guy. That's just my opinion. So, staying put, trading up, trading back. Staying put is well, what you're saying, right? I think, I think they're staying put. I do, too. I think, if, I think if they could trade back with somebody like two spots, like they did when they, when they knew they could get uh, Quentin Nelson when yeah. they traded back, I think if they still feel like their guy, be it Levis or whomever, I think they'll trade back a couple of spots. I think they traded back, what, three spots to get Nelson? Um, I think they'll do that, but that, that requires a, a good poker face and knowing that somebody's not going to come in and, and uh, you know, you trade back then somebody else trades up and you lose your guy. So it'll be interesting to see. That you kind of have to have your draft board and then you're kind of guessing on everybody else's draft board. But, yeah, I think I think they stay at four, and I do think they, uh, they take Levis. And you hope that – uh, Sugar Shane Steichen is the guy to uh, to get him where he needs to be. I just lost a bet with James here. I thought, sure, uh, I could get through this entire interview without my email ping, well, and I lost out. I like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think. And you know what the irony the irony of that is that was uh, Todd Meyer, our executive producer, sending out an email that I'm going to be out for a funeral coming up on Thursday. That's the irony of it. Hey, uh, on on, uh, on a similar note, I wanted to, to let people know that uh, tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. Wednesday at the Entry Pavilion at the Fieldhouse is going to be a celebration of life for uh, your friend and mine, Dave, David Benner. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there to that, and I think you know, it'd be nice to have uh, some folks out there, some Pacer fans. Hopefully, a lot of media members show up there too, just because how much he meant to all of us and how how great he was to deal with throughout the the, the years. 
Certainly did. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna miss DB a great deal too. And you guys got all the all the final check that all the Big Ten coverage, all the NCAA selection Sunday coverage, all that crap coming up Sunday, right? You guys got it all. We'll be there. Yeah, on CBS Four. We'll have the coverage on Fox tonight and CBS Four. We'll have games. We'll have the selection show. We'll have all of it. And uh, but before that, John, let's, yes. let's enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the games. I'm excited, you know, let's see what Ball State can do. Let's see Butler. Let's see Notre Dame, perhaps the final game ever for Mike Bray with the Irish. So a lot to get to between now and Sunday. We'll enjoy that. And then uh, I know on Fox 59 on Sunday night, either via Zoom from your palatial estate or maybe in person if you can – you can dust off the mothballs from the one suit you own. You and I will break down the, the bracket and, and see what we think and who's going where. I'll bring the cat in studio. Zeke can come in studio too, like he Zeke, made that Zeke, uh, Zeke, who took a nosedive last week, <laughs> yeah. just completely. I think Zeke realized it was live TV and decided just to bail. I, I knew I should have dug a well right there too. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Laney. I say that all the time. Hey, thanks a lot, Laney. This is your fault. So, Laney's trying to create some viral TikTok moments. Right? She's, trying to, she's trying to help the brand. All right, buddy. I appreciate you, Chris. We'll talk again here soon. Hopefully, uh, see everybody coming up tomorrow down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. All right, John. Thanks, man. We'll see you. You got it. Chris Hagan right there. That's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, we got to go. Thank you very much, James, for all that you did today. Our guests, those that participated inside the lounge via YouTube Live, per usual, however you are listening. We'll do it again coming up tomorrow at 3. More college basketball coverage, more Pacers conversation, of course. A little bit more as we lead closer and closer into NFL free agency as well coming up on tomorrow's show. Kiss tickets as well coming up again tomorrow right here at 3, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.